Good morning. We are Brian and Renee Webb. And uh, God has blessed us. And really glad to be here with you this morning. Um, there we go. God's blessed us with four amazing kids, a daughter in love, and um, I will tell you, simply the most beautiful grandbaby in the world. For 24 years, we have served as missionaries in the Pacific, mostly in the Republic of Vanuatu. Our ministry has focused on pioneer evangelism and church planting among unreached tribes. A few years ago, Renee and I were asked to serve as area directors for the Pacific. So allow me to introduce you to Pacific Oceana. It is the world's largest mission field. It encompasses a third of the Earth's surface, 23 nations, 40 million people, spread out over 30,000 islands, speaking more than 1,000 languages. It is by far the most diverse, complex, and isolated mission field on Earth. Pacific Oceana hosts every ism in the religious spectrum, animism, nominalism, secularism, atheism, Hinduism, Mormonism, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism are all found in Pacific Oceana. Our ministry contracts are varied from massive modern cities to tiny jungle villages where the children of cannibals still fearfully worship ancestral spirits. Renee and I are privileged to lead a rapidly growing team of missionaries across the Pacific. I want to talk to you about a tribe in Vanuatu, the Northern Sa. They live in the rugged mountains of South Pentecost. They're famous for a ceremony called Nangol, an appeal to the yam god for an abundant harvest. It involves the construction of 100-foot towers where men leap from platforms with only vines to break their fall. Heartbroken that a tribe on an island named Pentecost remained unreached, we determined to plant the church among them. The process started in 2009 when Pastor Falau, Stephen, and Kara Jager trekked all over South Pentecost seeking the best location for our initial outreach. In 2010, a healthcare ministries team followed the trail that they blazed ministered to 500 tribespeople in four villages. Years of follow-up labor resulted in the first church being dedicated at Haraplan Bush. I described the day in my journal. The floor is dirt. The benches are lengths of bamboo. Brightly flowered cloth walls hide the rough woven bamboo exterior. Life shoots through the lattice work and splashes randomly across the benches and the floor. A small raised platform of dirt hosts a pulpit crafted from a massive slab of rosewood. A shaft of light floods through a window high above the platform, illuminating the open Bible on the pulpit. When it came time to preach, I stood behind the humble pulpit and felt the weight of the sunlight as it streamed from above. Before me, Every bench is crammed to capacity. All along the walls, faces peer through the lattice windows. Beyond the open door, clusters of men and women set in the shade of a namumbe tree. I preach on lessons 
from the eternal nature of God. When I make the altar call, men, women, boys and girls crowd the altar, calling out to the eternal God. Far out in the churchyard, I see a young man rise and head for the church door. Dropping his basket at the door, he strides up the aisle with determined steps. He stops in the center of the altar area, directly before the pulpit. As he stands sobbing in repentance, the shaft of light from the window above strikes his face, making his tears glisten. I can't imagine a better first service. Tragically, shortly after, tribal conflict resulted in the church and the entire village being burned to the ground. The new believers were scattered to the territory of surrounding tribes and told never to return. I met with the 23 chiefs of the tribe. My message was simple. God loves you. We love you. We are not going away. I asked to plant another church. They refused. I asked to build a school. They refused. They did, however, invite me to build a medical clinic just outside the village of Pommel. The paramount chief arranged the ceremony. A cow was killed. Speeches were made. And together we walked off the boundaries of what would become Hope Clinic Pentecost. In 2019, I took a team of doctors and dentists to host a medical clinic in the nearly completed Hope Clinic Pentecost. Chief Wabak greeted me with the news that all the chiefs who had posed the planting of churches had passed away. Missionary, he told me, you can do anything you want to do. Hope had come to Pentecost. April 2020, Cyclone Herald pounded Pentecost Island with six hours of winds in excess of 200 miles per hour. Hope Clinic was completely and totally destroyed. Satan thought he had won. He thought he would be able to keep the northern saw in darkness. He thought hope was vanquished. He did not win. He will not keep them in darkness. He cannot hold back hope. Today, I am asking you to rebuild hope in Pentecost. I dream of nothing less than a modern medical and dental clinic in the midst of a Stone Age tribe. I dream of high quality medical care, providing a tangible expression of Christ's love in the middle of the darkness. I dream of hope for Pentecost. It won't be cheap. It will have both a physical and a fiscal cost. Missionaries like Reagan Newhouse and Tom and Rachel Pito are ready and willing to serve the Northern Sa. They are happy to leave behind their homeland and families to invade the darkness with the marvelous light of the gospel. They are ready to pay the physical cost. Will you help them with the fiscal cost. Creating a storm and earthquake proof modern clinic will cost us $100,000. Impossible 
you say, oh no. I serve a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I promise you, His dreams are much bigger than mine. The only question is how much of this incredible opportunity you want. Today I ask you, what will you do to rebuild hope on Pentecost? Hallelujah. Glory. Pastor mentioned I've got just a little bit of history with Bethesda. My great-grandmother and my grandmother were charter members of Old Northside Assembly of God. Um, about 1976, somewhere right along there, I, I was little, so forgive me if my dates are touch off. I was sitting right about there, and the Holy Spirit got a hold of my heart. And my daddy told me I was a sinner, but that Jesus was a savior, and that if I would ask him, he would take a heart that was dirty with sin, and he would replace it with a new, clean heart. I, I came somewhere right about right here. I can't tell you how incredible this moment is for me because I knelt down here and I asked Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins and I'll tell you what he did. He took that heart that was filthy with sin and he gave me a brand new heart and I've never been the same since that day. I am so thankful. I'm so thankful. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, coming home today, coming home, it, it, that is exactly what it felt like, just coming in and, and being in the worship and just uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Forgive me if I'm just a little bit emotional. I apologize. I'll try not to be. Um, I do want to mention something real quick before I preach. I've written a couple of books. This one is called Hungry Devils and Other Tales from Vanuatu. Uh, this one is The Sons of Cannibals and more stories from Vanuatu. If you like missionary stories, you'll like them. If you don't, don't bother because you won't. There are 50 missionary stories in each one. Uh, we affectionately refer to these as the Pay Our Kids Way to College Fund, all right? So this was my daughter, Alicia, four years, debt-free, praise God. This was my son, Brian, four years, debt-free, praise God. Um, my challenge is I have a third child in college right now. His name is Drew. So it works like this. If you guys buy enough copies of these two books, I don't have to write a third book, okay? We're good. We were, we were doing a church planting crusade down in South Tana at a little village called Irrawangan. And they had me and about 20 pastors staying in this little tin shack while we did it. And the shack came equipped with rats. And at night, the rats would get in up over your head in the rafters, and they would fight, and the loser would fall. And I don't know about you, but when a rat falls by head, my, beside my head in the middle of the night, it wakes me up. And so then there's a particular room I need to visit. And in this case, the room was an outhouse about uh, 50 feet away from the shack. 
And uh, I don't know how much experience you've got with outhouses. I, I, I stood there in the door of that shack that, that night, and it's pouring rain, and I try to convince myself I don't have to go, but I, I, I know I do. Let me give you three quick rules of the outhouse. Is that, is that okay? The, the first rule is you sing as you go. There, there is no door. There's a curtain there. Sometimes folks use it when they forgot their toilet paper. We call it a a weighted curtain. So, so you, you can't knock on the door. You sing your song. If somebody joins you on the chorus, you turn around, you, you head back to the house. The second thing is you exercise light discipline. Your flashlight is used to get you to the outhouse, but not for in the outhouse. There are thousands of four-inch roaches that live down there in that pit, and if your light shines on the hole, they will swarm up out of the abyss. It is extremely difficult to sit down and relax enough to take care of business. You keep getting sensations. So trust me on this. You don't shine your light in the outside. The third thing is the prayer. Look, missionaries are serious when we pray over our food. We are serious when we pray over our toilets. I've got it down to almost a mantra. I say, oh God, sanctify this toilet. So I don't want to paint you too graphic of a picture, but I'm standing there in the doorway of the shack. I got my toilet paper tucked under my arm because it loses its utility once it's wet. And, and I'm and I dashing through the rain, and I'm singing my song, and nobody joins me. And so when I get to the weighted curtain, I turn off my flashlight. I stick it in my mouth because I need both hands free. I'm, I, I'm, I'm backing my way past the weighted you don't like go in, turn around, put, there's no space for that. It's just one smooth motion. Your trousers are coming down as you slide past the curtain. I sit down on the wooden throne and I feel something. It is warm. It is hairy. It is all down my thigh. And if you want to know what was in the outhouse with me, you're going to have to buy a copy of the books, all right? I, listen, it's not too early to think about Christmas. You can buy something for everybody on your list out there. Okay, I'll stop. I'll behave. You ever, you ever pull up behind somebody at the stoplight, and uh, they got their phone out, yeah, and their head's down? That's okay as long as the light's red, but when the light turns green and their head's still down, then what do you do? This is a great test of sanctification. Huh? I mean, if you're sanctified, it's a very gentle beep, beep, right? But, but if you beep your horn and their head's still down, then what are you going to do? Yeah, I see some of you guys. I know what you if, if it's me, I want to stick my head out the window. I want to say, hey, green means yeah, it is awful when somebody misses the signal. It is worse when the church misses the signal. Between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, there are just 32 distinct ways in which the church is commanded to go. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to give you all 32 this morning, but I want to give you a few of them, all right? The first one is found in Matthew chapter 28. Verses 19 through 20. 
You've heard it a lot of times. We call it the Great Commission. Jesus said to his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. If I were going to summarize the Great Commission in two words, I would simply say, go everywhere. Go everywhere. You know, um, the going is important. I've had more than one scholar tell me, say, Brian, you, you missed the point of this verse. The, the primary verb is not in the going. The primary verb is in the making of disciples. Well, I agree with you, and I believe in making disciples. But did you notice where Jesus told us to make disciples? He told us to make disciples of all nations. And if we're going to make disciples of all nations, someone has to go. So the going is important. The telling is important as well. You ever heard anybody say, preach the gospel? If necessary, use words. Hmm? Sounds good. I understand what they're saying. They're saying they want you to live such a good Christian life. Your neighbors will see Jesus in you, want the same experience you've got, but that only works in a context where people already know the gospel story. Listen, there's a message that needs to be told. This world needs to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died in our place, that he rose again on the third day that he ascended to the right hand of the Father that right now he is praying for you and that soon and very soon he is returning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Listen, we got a message and our message must be told but this message must be told everywhere. You know, this is a uh, this is not a, do we tell this message in Fort Worth, or, or we, do we tell this message around the world, but we do both tasks in tandem at the same time. The gospel goes everywhere. A while back, Renee and I had the opportunity to go to Koshrai. Y'all know where Koshrai is? That's what I thought. To get to Koshrai from here, you've got to go to Honolulu, and then you're going to fly on a United flight from Honolulu to Majoral, and from Majoral to Kwajalein, and then you're going to go from Kwajalein to Koshrai. It, 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 it is this postage stamp of an island. The speed limit is 20 miles an hour, and you can drive around the entire island in less than an hour. It is so far removed from every other island, you can't figure out how on earth the first Koshrayans got there in the first place. There's something like 6,000 Koshrayans in the world. And yet when Renee and I went there, the same Holy Spirit that was moving in your service today was moving in their service there. Why? Because to God, everywhere matters. Let me give you another one. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 7. The women have gone down to the, to the burial ground. They're going to anoint Jesus' body for burial, but they're met with angels who say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And then listen, they said, then go quickly and tell 
his disciples. There is an urgency in our going due to the perishable nature of our harvest. We have but a short window of opportunity. Have you ever gone to pour your milk over your cereal in the morning? And uh, instead of it be this nice smooth stream, it goes clump, clump. Huh? And, and then, oh, it's a bad smell. And, and you look at that milk jug and, the, and, the, and the, the problem's right there in black ink. It says, use, buy. Huh? And the date was two weeks ago. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You can examine yourself closely. You will find no place tattooed on you an expiration date. But I can promise you this, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after death, the judgment. Listen, every person you're going to interact with this week is an eternal person. They will spend eternity in heaven with God, or they will spend eternity forever isolated from Him. And you and I have this short window of opportunity in which we can seek to change their eternal destiny. I, I, I urge you to bear that in mind this week. Christians do not have casual conversations. Every one of our conversations has an internal consequence. And for every person that you interact with this week, one day will be the last day that you ever get to talk to them about Jesus. And that is true of your friends and neighbors and coworkers, and it is true of the two billion people in our world today that do not have anyone who speaks their language that can tell them the story of Jesus if we'll just get there soon enough and if we'll just tell them some of them will believe, some of them will call on the name of the Lord, and some of them will be saved. We have to go quickly. Let me give you another one. Is that okay? We all right? John 20, 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Simply go forgiving. You know, um, I grew up in church. Listen, y'all. When I was growing up, all right, uh, we had church on Sunday morning, Sunday night. Tuesday night was Royal Rangers and Missionettes. Wednesday night was service. Thursday night was visitation. Saturday night, Saturday night was an evangelistic service. And if we wanted to be spiritual, we added two nights to that schedule, and we called it revival. And we had revival multiple times a year. Now, I'm just, I'm just pointing out to you that I have heard thousands of sermons, and I never heard anybody preach from this text. And the reason is it just doesn't fit our theology very well. I don't know about you. I always assumed one of the translators was a closet Catholic, and he slipped this dude in there to justify the confessional. Just that's what it looked like to me. But a while back, I had the opportunity to be up in the Tibetan plateau. I was there because there's a group of people called the Pumi. And the time I was there, there were no churches of any kind among the Pumi. I went there to write about them so that you would read about them and the Holy Spirit would convict you and you would go tell them. They, they had me up in this valley. It was at about 14,500 feet in elevation. Took me to a little village and, and brought me to a log cabin. They told me, they said, Brian, the same family 
has lived in this log cabin for the last hundred years. Now, it's a log cabin, but it's got the red clay tile roofs that slope down into the little ski jumps, and it's got the big double doors with the symbols to ward off the evil spirits. As we, as we open those double doors and step through them, the first row of, of rooms on each side are the hog pens because it's too cold to keep the hogs outside. I step past those hog pens into a courtyard and there's a chicken comes at me this way and a goose comes at me that way and there's a water buffalo standing there chewing his cud. Over off to the left is the kitchen. That little pumi lady steps out of her kitchen and invites us in. I wish I could walk you into that kitchen. Imagine a room where an open pit fire has been burning continuously for a hundred years. Every surface is covered with smoke. Step through that door and on the right is a little bench and there's a, like a coffee table in front of that. And I sit down on that bench. Out in front of that coffee table is, a, is that open pit fire. And behind that is a, is a shrine of some sort. Hanging over in the smoke on the left is some, some shoulders and some hams and some sausages. That little lady pours me a cup of green tea. But before she brings it to me, she stops and she tips a little bit out in front of that shrine. And then she brings it to me. And then she pulls down a shoulder and some sausages and, and she cuts them up and prepares me a little plate of food. But again, as she's coming, she stops in front of the shrine and she drops some of that meat off in the fire in front of the shrine before she, she presents me with that plate. And I ask her, I said, Auntie, who are you offering these sacrifices to? She said, I'm offering them to the king of hell. Now you can study Tibetan Buddhism after the service, but I can describe the king of hell to you. He has a leering face. He wears a, a crown of human skulls. In his left hand is a blood-stained knife. In his right hand is a severed human head. He's depicted standing astride a human body and encircled with flames. They believe that he guards the entrance to hell. I said, Auntie, why would you offer sacrifices to the king of hell? She said, well, I know there are other gods, but they are too high for me. Only he can hear my prayers. So I offer him sacrifice in the hopes that when I die and when I go to hell, he will be kind to me. Can I tell you that he, he mocks her offerings, he scoffs at her prayers, and he will not be kind to her. You know the tragedy of her story? God is too high for her. And he's too high for me. And he's too high for you. And that's why when our best efforts at being a righteous or a good person fell miserably short, that God wrapped himself in human flesh and he walked among us and he opened a way that we could be reconciled with him. 
And, and that is why this story has to be told. You know, as I, as I sat there in their kitchen, I noticed the back wall. It, it was covered with these white ovals. And I, I asked her, I said, Auntie, what's the meaning of these ovals? She said, oh, well, it's our, it's our tradition. It's our tradition. On Chinese New Year, every person living in the home will dip their thumb into white paint and then will press it against the wall. Guys, there were, there were long, skinny ovals, and there were short, fat ones. There were, there were little, bitty, teeny, tiny baby ones. There, there were ones that were, that were crisp and clear, and there were others that were so covered with creosote, you could just barely make out the outline. But as I looked at them, I understood this passage for the first time because the Holy Spirit illuminated it, and he spoke to me, and he said, Brian, this is a genealogy of the unforgiven. These are the ones my church withheld forgiveness from. Listen, there's only one way our sins can be forgiven us. That's by believing on Jesus Christ. And as long as we know and they don't, we are withholding forgiveness from them. You say, Brian, what will it take to change that? I'm glad you asked. It will take someone resigning their job. It will take someone successful in their career laying it down, moving to the far side of the world, learning how to speak Pumi, learning Pumi culture, sitting down and drinking cups of green tea until the conversation turns to Jesus. I'll never forget her words to me as I left her house that day. She said, now I am your auntie. You can drink tea with me any time you want to. Ah. You say, Brian, if I, if I do that, let's think this through. If I lay everything down, if I abandon all, and, and I take the effort and the time to learn that language and learn that, will she believe? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But I'll make you a promise. If she doesn't believe, one of her neighbors will. Hmm? And then another one. And then another one. And then another one. Before very long, I'll tell you what you'll do. You'll, you'll begin to bring this little group together. Huh? You, you'll begin to teach them the word of God and you'll have this group together and, and they will begin to, to sing praise to the king in and, and a, and a language that has been used only to offer prayers to the king of hell will be used to sing praises to the king of kings. Why? Because this gospel, this church, it is militant. It is triumphant. It is victorious. It has worked. Listen, the gates of hell, the king of hell cannot withstand it. <sighs> this gospel has worked everywhere it has been tried. What is lacking is not the power of the gospel. What is lacking is the presence of the goer.
Amen? Let me give you one last one, then I'll be done, okay? We're, we're in John chapter 21, verse number 3. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. You know, um, we, we see things really differently than the disciples did in the moment. We know how the story unfolds. They expected Jesus to be a political king. Instead, he was crucified. They went and hid. He rose from the dead. Hopes reborn again. You read it in Acts chapter 1. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, they, they thought it was going to be right after Palm Sunday. That didn't work out. But, but now he's alive again. So, hey, maybe. How about now, Lord? Is, is, is now, is, now are you going to restore the kingdom? And, and I don't know about you. I always presumed that those 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead till he ascended, that he was with the disciples every day. But that's not true. If you read through the book of John, it says in one place, and eight days later, he appeared to them again. Now look, they knew Jesus was alive, but he's the kind of guy who simply walks through a locked door. Huh? And when he leaves, he's pretty hard to follow back through that locked door. And you don't know where he's gone, and they, they didn't know when he was coming back. They didn't know how this would play out. And so then for the disciples, there was moments of intense discouragement. And it was in one of those moments of intense discouragement that Peter says to the others, I'm going fishing. Huh? This is not, I'm going to spend a little bit of time down at Possum Kingdom and have a good. This was, I have given up on follow the Messiah. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to the family business. Think of what Thomas could have said right then, huh? I mean, think of how, but, but the other disciples did something incredible. They said, we will go with you. And they set a precedent there, a precedent that is followed to this day. It is that Christians go together. Hallelujah. Hey, that's why. We're right here in church, worshiping God on Sunday morning. Why? Because Christians go together. You ever heard anybody say, I can worship God just as good at the lake? You ought to hear me preach down there, man. I, we'll have a lot of fun. To, but, but the thing about it is, I could worship God at the lake. I could worship God somewhere else. But I chose to come together with the family of God. Because as the family of God, I can encourage that one that is down. I can pray for that one that is sick. I, I can bless my brother and sister. We go together. Do you, do you know, Pastor, they mentioned something today. They mentioned tithes and offerings. What is that about? Hmm? It's, it's, it's you and I looking around and saying, hey, there's some things that need to happen at Bethesda community that I can't do by myself and you can't do by yourself, but that if you and I go together, we can make it happen. Hallelujah. No, 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 guys. This is what missions is. 
Sometimes we go to a church and they go to take the offering and I see it. I know what's going on. It's a bless their heart offering. Huh? No, I see that lady giving her husband the elbow, you know? Hey, that missionary wife uses an outhouse. She takes her bath in a river. Bless her heart. Huh? This is not a bless their heart offering. No, no, no. No, no, here's, here's what I'm inviting you to do. I am inviting you to go together with me to Vanuatu and bring hope back to Pentecost. Y'all should have been a whole lot more excited about that. No, you've got your job, you've got your family, you've got your obligations. You say, Brian, I can't get on a plane and go, but you can go together with me and we can transform some people's world. I get excited about it. You know, one of the countries I'm responsible for now is, uh, is the Solomon Islands. And if you know anything about history, World War II, the, the Japanese army was rolling through the South Pacific and no one could stop them. Until the U.S. Navy landed the 1st Marine Division on a little island called Guadalcanal. Their mission was to capture an airfield under construction and to hold it. Today it is called Henderson Field. Renee and I have stood in the center of that runway. Those Marines were landed there without adequate weapons, without enough ammunition, without enough supplies, but they took Henderson Field, and to hold it, they recognized they needed to hold the, the high ground above it. It's today called Bloody Ridge, just a, a narrow ridge, in many places not as wide as this sanctuary, and it stretches for a couple of miles inland, and, and a, dotted on that ridge, you can still go today and stand in their foxholes, and there, outnumbered 10 to 1, those Marines held their position. But, but I went there, and I, and I wanted to go down to the end of that ridge because it comes down to a point before going into a little bit of a saddle, and there's that last foxhole there. And in that foxhole were two Marines with a 50 caliber machine gun. And their assignment was to create a wall of lead so that no one could pass through that saddle. Early in the fight, there was a Japanese soldier lobbed a hand grenade into their foxhole. It blinded one of the Marines. It severed the other one's thumb. But for five hours, unrelieved, those two Marines held their position. The, the blind man firing the machine gun and the lame man telling him where to fire. And alone, neither one of them could have completed their mission. But together, they changed the tide of a battle, the course of a war, and even the outcomes of history. And I'm going to tell you when I look at a tribe in south-central Pentecost that Satan has held for 2,000 years, denied the light of the gospel from... And I see that the means for getting into that tribe and sharing this glorious gospel is a fantastic medical clinic. I can tell you that alone, I cannot build it. If I could, I would. 
The first medical clinic I ever built, I carried in 23 tons of cement on my shoulders. I cut down the trees. I milled the timber out to build that clinic. I can't do that again. But I will tell you something. Together, you and I can bring hope back to Pentecost. And that's what I'm asking you to do. Now listen, I want you to give, I do. But for some of you listening to me this morning, going together should go beyond what you give. Some of you should go to the post office and get an application for a passport. You should fill it out. You should buy that plane ticket. You should go to the far side of the world. You should humble yourself like a child to learn another language and a culture. You should speak the story of Jesus to a people that have not heard it before. If God is speaking you to go, I want you to come see me after service. Renee and I'll talk to you about how you do that. Father, I love you. I thank you for this incredible opportunity to be here at this amazing church. And I pray your Holy Spirit sweep over this congregation, challenge us, speak to our hearts. Help us to respond in obedience to you, irregardless of what that might be in our lives. We will thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.